and welcome to episode 15 of UConn 360, the only podcast in the known universe that covers the University of Connecticut from every conceivable angle. My name is Tom Breen. I'll be your facilitator of sorts. Joining me as always are Julie Bartuka. Welcome back, Tom. Ken Best. Happy to have you back, Tom. And I'm back. That's right. I was <laughs> gone last week, and I want to thank Graham Stennett from University Archives for ably stepping in. Heard from a lot of Graham fans <laughs> out there who are like, hey, Tom, can he be your permanent replacement? You suck. And I'm like, no. Oh, that's not true. Graham is too busy. Graham is awesome, though. Graham's his own podcast, after all. Exactly. He does, which you should listen to. And uh, this probably will not be the last time we hear from Graham. No. Uh, we are coming to you from the Benton Museum of Art the stores campus thanks to everyone at the benton as always and the big news in our world of course is the return of students to our fair university back to school in fact as we record we are in the midst of the first week of classes uh, and we're going to tell you all about the impressive remarkable class of 2022 but first we have some husky headlines julie What's, yes. what's going on in the world of the University of Connecticut? Did you know UConn was a cool school? Of course I did. But really, in more ways than one, um, environmental organization, the Sierra Club, has ranked UConn the number three coolest school in the country this year for our sustainability efforts. UConn was ranked number one back in 2013, and I think we've been in and out of the top ten a couple times. Richard Miller, the director of UConn's Office of Environmental Policy, cites food and dining as one of the key areas where UConn makes an impact. We source from small community-based and locally owned farms, work with quantum biopower to process compostable waste, use reclaimed water, and implement several water reduction measures. And one waste reduction measure that's caught some attention is Yukon's EcoCoin initiative, which began last year at the Yukon Bookstore, where every customer who declines a plastic bag with their purchase gets a token called an EcoCoin, very clever, which is worth five cents, the cost of a plastic bag. And then they can drop that in one of three boxes to donate five cents to a charity. And one of those charities is UConn's Campus Sustainability Fund, which is entirely funded by donations and supports a variety of campus initiatives. There are also tons of courses related to sustainability here. Um, and in addition to that, the University Senate voted last spring to make environmental literacy a general education requirement for all UConn graduates. So we are just doing all kinds of cool things. That's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> It's cool. Oh, it's boy. neat. It's neat. It's actually it's kinda hot that we're it's doing it. It's freaking hot. Ken, what's uh what's the latest? Researchers in Yukon's brain imaging research center have learned something very interesting. That the amount of gray matter in a kindergartner's brain can predict whether he or she will have trouble re with reading comprehension as a third grader. Hmm. Uh, the finding was published in the Public Library of Science Journal known as PLOS-1, and it provides new information on the neural basis underlying reading development and the possible root courses of dyslexia, which, as I think most of us know, is a common uh, learning disability. Uh, they wanted to know the answer to the question, do children who work hard at reading comprehension build more gray matter, or is it more gray matter that allows them to read better? Uh, they recruited kindergartners with and without a family history of reading difficulty and then followed them over three years doing MRI brain scans and reading comprehension tests. Ten percent of U.S. children have dyslexia. 
Um, some dyslexics have trouble decoding, translating print into sound, but their reading comprehension is high, and the neuroscientists call these people resilient dyslexics. The work was done by researchers Fomiko Heft and Roland Hancock, and they collaborated with researchers in Tel Aviv University, Boston College, MIT, and the Haskins Laboratories in New Haven, which studies the science of the spoken and written word and has a longstanding affiliation with both UConn and Yale University. Wow, it's very interesting. Um, all right, as I mentioned earlier, we have a new semester, and that means new students. But just who are these freshly minted Huskies? Who are you? Let's take a look. Uh, the new class has roughly 5,500 students, and they are an impressive lot. The mean SAT score is 1306, which is the highest in our institution's history. Uh, it includes 175 high school valedictorians and salutatorians, which is a very fun word to say. <laughs> Uh, and they will add a record 550 freshman students to our honors program. It's also a very diverse class. In fact, it's the most diverse class we've ever had in our entire history, which started in 1881. Did it? 40%, more than 40% of the incoming class are students of color. 4,000 of them are from Connecticut. That's 74%, and that's from 164 of our 169 towns. I don't know who the five towns were that didn't send anyone, uh, but get it together. <laughs> five towns. Overall, about 80% of our undergrads are from Connecticut, which is a percentage that has remained pretty stable throughout the years. We have 1,000 transfer students entering this year. Uh, and among our freshmen, 50% were in the top 10% of their high school classes and 84% in the top 25%. And one-third of those new Huskies are at our regional campuses, particularly UConn-Stanford, where there is uh, exciting new housing. Housing! And UConn-Hartford, which has a brand new campus in downtown Hartford. Uh, that's up from just a fourth of the freshman class in the fall of 2015. This is a select bunch. We had more than 38,000 applications in total, which is a record. It's mind-blowing. And 14,000 of them came from the state of Connecticut, which means that one out of every three graduating high school seniors in the state of Connecticut wanted to become a Husky. That's so great. That's nice to hear. It is. So congratulations to uh, all the new Huskies on beginning their journey here at UConn. And speaking of which, our own Julie Bartuka decided to go beyond the statistics <laughs> and talk directly to some of our talented young students. That's what we call shoe leather reporting, folks. Yes. Were you wearing shoes? <laughs> yeah, I should hope so. <laughs> Walked around campus. It was not shoeless. Um, yeah, I, I decided to do a little man on the street, as they call it in broadcast television news. Uh, and I just went and... I guess frighten some children <laughs> at the student union. No, I went and talked to some students at the student union, some of which didn't, some of whom did not want to talk to me, but many of whom did. And they told me about their summers and what they're looking forward to this year. And it just made me all warm and fuzzy inside about what great students we have at UConn. So let's all feel warm and fuzzy inside. It was a hundred degrees when you were doing it. It yeah. absolutely <laughs> was. So I was very warm. Tell me your name, your major, and your grad year. My name is Francisco. I'm a junior, and I'm uh, an engineer. Awesome. <laughs> Took <you> a minute. <laughs> um, what was the coolest thing you did this summer? Go to the beach every single day. Every single day. Are you from the beach? I'm from Puerto Rico. Oh, my gosh. So you live in yeah. Puerto Rico. So every you're single day. Awesome. Oh, my gosh. They went back home for the summer. Yep. That's so great. What are you looking forward to about this year? Just meeting new people, doing more with the community, see what's new. I'm Michael. My major is mechanical engineering, and I'm graduating in 2022. So you're I'm a freshman? freshman this year. Yeah. Welcome to UConn. What'd you do this summer? 
So over the summer, I was uh, a lifeguard at a town pool in my uh, town. What are you most looking forward to about this your freshman year? I'm looking forward to uh, learning new things and meeting new people and getting to try all the things that UConn has to offer. Hi, my name is Princess. I am a senior studying political science with a minor in human rights. The most fun thing I did this summer, well, I worked at the Ludwig Visitor Center. Being a tour guide is pretty fun. I was able to meet a lot of new people, connect with a lot of prospective students and their parents. I got a lot of business cards this summer, too, so I'm definitely excited about making those connections. I went to see Beyonce in August. That was fun. It was the greatest experience of my life. So what I'm most excited about this school year is I have a lot of things I'm excited about. One, I'm a senior, so I'm really looking forward to just enjoying my last year, experiencing everything, just checking off everything from my UConn bucket list. Um, I just want to graduate knowing that I've done everything that I wanted to do at UConn. Secondly, my organization, African Students Association. I'm the president this year, so I'm really excited about that. This whole summer, my eboard members and I, we've been planning a lot of events that's going to showcase our rich African culture, heritage, experiences. We're having a lot of programs and a lot of events that's going to be able to do all that. So I'm really excited to put it out there so everyone can come and join us. We're pretty cool. And last but not least, I'm really excited to do my research. I'm going to be working with a professor, Dr. Richards, on violence against women and girls. I'm really excited about that and just being able to find my passion and what I want to do with my life. I originally came in as an engineering major. I switched my major twice. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I would never figure out what I wanted to do, but then I eventually switched to political science, finally found my niche, finally found something I'm passionate about, found research I'm passionate about. And I'm like, okay, yay. I know what I want to do now. I'm really excited to just continue that and continue studying those things. So my name is David Stanko. I'm a senior here at UConn. I'm an economics major. And uh, over the summer, I interned at Barnum Financial Group. Uh, which is like a wealth management advising group and I had a mentor that was a senior wealth manager that I was working under doing some administrative and helping him with client calls and whatnot and I think what I'm most excited about for this year is kind of finishing UConn on a strong note and graduating and kind of matriculating into the real world and taking my last year without responsibility. I'm Monica Halinka. I am a second year student but junior. Um, my major is marketing this summer I did a half marathon and I went with my friend and camped around Iceland and then I did an internship actually with a UConn alum and was doing administrative work and stuff like that. And what are you most looking forward to about this year? Um, definitely getting into more of my business specific classes. I'm kind of done with all the gen ed so now I'm excited to kind of learn about the craft that I want to eventually pursue. I'm Aishika Bruce. I am a junior and my major is sport operation. And um, what did you do this summer? What was the coolest thing you did this summer? Honestly, I didn't do much. I just really hung out with my friends and I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, quality time with them is just always fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what are you most looking forward to about this year? I'm looking to get more involved in my major since I, like, this is, will be my first semester, you know, in the sport major. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm looking to get more involved, find out opportunities about things that's going on on campus and just that. I'm Alex Abriola. I'm a computer science major and I'm graduating in 2022. Oh, so you're a freshman. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Awesome. What was the coolest thing you did this summer? I went to a couple events that were all around Connecticut. I went to like a convention in Hartford 
at a convention center there, and I just kind of, I, I think I did, I actually didn't do that much. I, I was mainly, mostly preparing for college. What are you most looking forward to about your first year at UConn? I'm looking forward to learning a lot about my major because I'm interested in it and I want to learn more about it and do more things with it. Like I'm thinking of developing some things. I want to go into computer science and do a bunch of cool things. My name is Kaylin. My major is actuarial science and I'm a senior. I worked here in the Ludwig Visitor Center for three months and then for the last month I went back to my hometown China. I visited my friends and families. It was really fun. Also while I was working here during the summer I was um, doing research projects with Goldison Center in the actual science department. We're doing real projects from different insurance companies, so that was really educational. I'm looking forward to the career fair. The actual science career fair is holding on September 27th. With the small department like us, we're able to invite over 40 companies looking for just for UConn students. And I'm going to take an another actual exam before the career fair, so hopefully I'll pass so I become more competitive. Also, I'm a Chinese international senior, so this year will be the last year I want to expose myself as much as I can to the campus. I want to apply for an education abroad program for the breaks. I'm Isabella, I am a junior, and my major is business management. This summer I had a marketing internship at a food tech startup called Fresh Nation in my hometown, Stamford, Connecticut. Fresh Nation pretty much brings locally grown food into big grocery stores, so I helped uh, run social media, run displays, things like that. I'm looking forward to, I guess, like being a junior, being able to network a lot with people and kind of secure an internship for the next summer and then a hopefully have a job coming out of UConn, so definitely working with UConn alumni and people at UConn that are able to be resources for me. My name is Sadiq Sani and I'm a freshman and I'm majoring in computer science and engineering. What are you most looking forward to about your first year at UConn? Um, my computer science classes, I want to learn more about them. Yeah, that's it. And I want to make more friends. My name is Manny. I'm an economics and political science major and I'm a junior. I was a camp counselor at a YMCA sponsored camp. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I had a group of eight boys who were 10 years old and they asked the littlest questions from what is a ladybug to why we drink water. It made me look inward and think about how much I love working with kids and tie that back to my major, you know, economics and political science. More so in the business area, but I really am passionate about, you know, educational values and especially giving, you know, underprivileged, underrepresented kids, you know, educational opportunities. So it'd be cool to kind of combine those two areas, working with kids and poli-sci and see how that comes out. I'm most looking forward to maintain the relationships that I made last year with both my friends and my professors, but primarily with my professors because Junior year is a time when you look to the past, but also look to the future and think about, you know, internships and job opportunities and resume building. And so I really want to talk to the professors I made, I met last year, especially the ones that really had an impact on me, who I looked up to. And I want to kind of get involved in the research that they're doing. I want to see, you know, what career opportunities uh, lie ahead for me. Uh, my name is Dice, and I'm currently working towards like DMD, kind of CSE, lots of programming. I'm glad to be back, you know. I always find that it's good to be back on campus. I love living on campus. Everybody here is so friendly, you know. Yep. And uh, this semester I'm especially lucky. I get to, I'm blessed that I get to be in a triple with two of my best friends, which is just incredible, Where honestly. on campus are you living? I'm over at Northwest. It's a really nice place, I gotta say, way better than North, between you and me, but 
Really nice dining hall. It's got great facilities. I mean, the bathrooms need a little bit of a touch-up, but that's something you get used to, you know. And if these starry-eyed youngsters have you reminiscing about your glory days here at UConn, be sure to mark your calendar for October 26th through 28th. I'm going to say that again. Be sure to mark your calendar for October 26th through 28th for Homecoming 2018. Of course, we have the football game against UMass on the 27th, special on-campus events on Friday, um, including a very exciting mm. one that we're going to talk about later. Stay tuned. And the Huskies Forever 5K, a science salon junior for kids, and a bunch more. You can learn more about that and register at s.uconn.edu slash come home. That's the letter S forward slash c-o-m-e-h-o-m-e all right uh, i probably don't need to emphasize this but uh, i doubt i would get into uconn if i applied today uh, I, mean, I started in 1996 uh, back when there was only a single building on campus and you could <laughs> you could only major <laughs> in a lie. Could, the only major was dinosaur husbandry <laughs> Uh, today we have many more majors uh, including an internationally recognized human rights program ken you're going to tell us about a UConn professor uh, and a colleague at Ohio State who are teaching an innovative human rights class this fall. What's the scoop? The Human Rights Institute at UConn, which was founded in 2003, is an internationally respected program and is a core for the research and the studies that go on uh, in the field of human rights. Uh, there are 200 students uh, either majoring or minoring in human rights, making it one of the largest programs of its kind in the United States. Uh, Shireen Hertel is an associate professor of political science who also has a joint appointment in the Human Rights Institute, and she focuses her work on labor and economic rights issues, and she is also the editor of the Journal of Human Rights. Several years ago, she collaborated with uh, UConn engineering professor Allison McKay to create an interdisciplinary course on assessment for human rights rights and sustainability. Now, Professor McKay is now at Ohio State University, where she is professor of civil, environmental, and geodetic engineering. But with the magic of technology, a live simulcast allows them to teach students in stores and in Columbus, Ohio, uh, for this class, which is now beginning its fourth year. Uh, professor Hertel described how this course was developed, why it's integral to the new field of engineering for human rights, which is being pioneered right here in stores. Allison and I were good friends and always looking for ways to collaborate. And because I research largely in the area of supply chain management, where do your shoes come from? Where does your cocoa in the morning come from? And Allison works on fate of contaminants, how polluted is the world and how long will that pollution hang around? We realized that we had an extraordinary area of mutual interest which was really looking at how we would assess social and environmental sustainability of all the products that we use and corporations own records of social and environmental compliance. And so we developed a course that we would teach jointly across the human rights and engineering listings um, with students from both areas. And the goal was really to equip those students to assess the readiness of companies to comply with both legal requirements, and then voluntary standards that go above and beyond what the law requires. Moving multinational businesses toward corporate social responsibility policies began in 1971 with the efforts of clergyman and civil rights leader, the Reverend Leon Sullivan, who was the first African-American to serve on the board of a major corporation when he joined the board of directors of General Motors. He developed the Sullivan principles for American companies operating in South Africa under apartheid. 
Reverend Sullivan later worked with the United Nations to create a code of ethical conduct for multinational corporations aimed at treating all workers equally around the world. More recently, John Ruggie of the Harvard Kennedy School developed the United Nations Guiding Principles for Business and Human Rights adopted by the UN Human Rights Council. Professor Hertel says the work started by Sullivan and Ruggie is an essential part of what UConn students learn about business, human rights, and responsible business practice. So what I learned in teaching with Allison, which was fantastic, and working with somebody who's looking at the engineered substances in the product, we also think about what happens when you're done with that cell phone. Where does the cell phone get deposited? What happens when the recycling process of the cell phone isn't carried out ethically in the developing countries where our e-waste gets dumped? So you're really looking at from the very beginning conceptual process all the way through use and end use. And our class really equips students very much in the spirit of of Sullivan or Ruggie to look at going above and beyond the minimum threshold for doing well by doing good. And what's exciting for me about teaching jointly with engineering is that we're looking at how to bring a whole new set of actors into this conversation around social responsibility, corporate social responsibility, business and human rights. Um, Typically, a lot of the conversation in that area has been in the domain of law. So colleagues in the School of Law or the School of Business would have been the natural go-to colleagues. But engineers are intimately involved in the design and fabrication and manufacturing and uh, production and end use. And so part of what is exciting for me about doing this work now with colleagues in engineering is you're bringing a whole new set of actors into this conversation around responsible business practices. From my reading of what you've done in research and publication about this idea of sustainability and business practice is that the social science and humanities students who are in this class and the engineering students come at it obviously from different perspectives, but they need to know the other side of the equation in order to do their their job and to understand the bigger picture. And that has been one of the most gratifying elements of this teaching. Typically in a class, once jointly on campus and then twice remotely, Um, what's been extraordinary is watching the dynamism of these groups of students who've never worked across either divides within the social sciences and humanities and engineering, or even across subfields within engineering. So we will typically have in any given class students from five or six different fields in engineering, mechanical, civil, environmental, etc. And then you'll have students from within the humanities, literature, Chinese, English, And then you'll have students from within the social sciences, anthropology, economics, political science. And occasionally we'll have students from within the natural sciences, physical and neurobiology, the College of Ag and Natural Resources. And we intentionally set up groups to do company audits, assessments of company practices. And you're deriving this from from, from the real world. Exactly. Because what we say is, if you were a mixed skills audit team, and Reebok asked you to come look at the fabrication of soccer balls in Pakistan, and you found child labor in that supply chain. The engineer's not going to know what to do with the child. The social scientist will. But let's say you found contaminants in the waste stream. The social scientist is going to have a challenge to measure the actual level of contamination. The engineer won't. We would love to see you go out in the world equipped to speak across boundaries about common goals. The common goal of that production process should be social and environmental responsibility. But how we arrive at that goal is inherently going to involve people with mixed skills in a conversation. And so learning to work across those borders as an undergrad is extraordinarily advantageous. 
Now, the place that you get a lot of information uh, for the class, uh, as I understand it, is the Business and Human Rights Resource Center, Mm -hmm. because that is a registry of companies that are trying to work in this area. Explain how that works and and what you draw from it. I'm publishing a book that will be coming out in the spring of 2019 with Oxford University Press called Tethered Fates, Companies, Communities, and Rights at Stake. And I draw a lot on the Business and Human Rights Resource Center database. It's 7,000 companies' reports, reports about them and by them, civil society groups report out, and it's an extraordinary data set that's publicly available. You don't have to pay to use it on corporate practices. You can look up an issue, you can look up a company, you can look up a region, you can cross-reference and get all the journalistic or corporate information available on and about that company. And so I mine that in my own research to look at where companies are engaging with people in local communities to remedy and address some of these kinds of problems. My students use the BHHRC data directly in their classes because they need to be double assessing, essentially, what the company says from a social and environmental standpoint that it's doing. Professor Hertel says that while doing research for her new book, she found that one of the most important ways businesses can improve a community while being socially responsible is to listen to the people who live in the community. What was really extraordinary to me, I did research for the book in communities in the Dominican Republic where we manufacture Yukon product. Um, There is a tremendous amount of creativity and energy in even the most humble person who lives in and is affected by the community. Some of the best ideas for ways that that community could benefit from the business being there, even indirectly, were generated by folks who lived in the shadow of the factory but didn't work there. Um, Folks gave me great ideas, like, wouldn't it be fantastic if the company could collaborate with local government on creating a footbridge across the five-lane highway so that workers, as they go to work, and all the rest of us could benefit from using it and be safer? Wouldn't it be terrific if we load-shared on solar that was produced in the wake of very bad infrastructure in many developing countries where the power is going out continually, if there were solar panels that could be jointly shared for generating electricity, not only to keep the factory powered up so that we're not using diesel power and polluting the environment, but so that we could also power a community center, for example. Um, And so this idea of social and environmental sustainability was really well articulated by folks with modest education and often very humble means in extremely profound and sophisticated ways. I think you're invoking Leon Sullivan. Sullivan had an incredible notion of connection to the community in all of the places he talked early on in the life of this discussion around business and human rights in South Africa and elsewhere. Learning to listen is a big part of making an impact in this area. There was a paper that was written uh, earlier this year based on a seminar that took place at stores last fall, which describes a lot of this information and goes into much greater detail looking forward on where they need to go in this area of uh, human rights and sustainability activities. Great interview, Ken. I wish, I mean, that class sounds great. I wish we'd had it when I was here in the dinosaur husbandry days. <laughs> well, you can probably sit in. I know the professor. All of our, all of our schoolmasters were Civil War veterans. It was quite a time. <laughs> uh, all right, so since those early days, new students have arrived on campus every fall or in the late summer, which we pretend is fall. Um, given that it's the start of a new academic year, I wanted for Tom's History Corner, which I... Actually, part of the reason I went away was to try to find a new name. No, you I, went on. You went so far. You traveled the world. I went to the Himalayas to, to seek the the knowledge of the ancient llamas. <laughs> I also want to say I got in trouble from my husband by not referencing the DeLorean in my intro to Tom's History Corner last uh, week. 
well blind spot we don't have a new name the the llamas were kind of divided but we will but it's tom's history corner and since we're starting a new academic year i wanted to look back at a particular start of a different academic year and i chose 1945 because it was the first uh, start of the new semester after world war ii oh yes and i kind of wanted to see um how the end of the war had affected things on campus and maybe some of the ways that starting as a UConn student in the fall of 1945 is different than starting as a UConn student in the fall of 2018. And I found uh, some great old uh, issues of the Connecticut campus, which is not yet the daily campus. Uh, Freshman students, when they arrived for the first week, they had to wear around their neck a four by six card with their name, hometown, high school nickname, and college address. Cute. Yep. The, there was also a guide on how to eat in the dining halls. Uh, eating meals in the dining hall is quite an art. Uh, you will eat uh, from steel trays, which will be filled in the assembly line system. After you have finished eating, you will walk sedately over to the garbage pail, empty your tray, wipe your hands in a napkin, if you're lucky, <laughs> and depart. The most important thing about our meals, though, is that you must wait until all members of your party are finished before you may start on your dessert. No. With people constantly sitting down, this may involve hours of waiting. (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah. That's absurd. They, I they like were, it, though. They, they were coming back from the military. They lucky. needed to be told what to do. Yeah. Well, that's true. Uh, also, the, this uh, had a helpful editorial on how to behave on campus, and it was called A Cheery Hello. Connecticut is a friendly state. The University of Connecticut is a friendly college (laughs) because of this and because we want to preserve the intrinsic spirit of friendliness, which has become a tradition among us. We urge you to get into the spirit of the cheery hello, which is the time honored greeting at UConn. It's not. I want it to be cheerio. Uh, Can we just say that? We can say cheerio or cheery hello. (laughs) Was the cereal around then? Can I? I just can't even imagine. I mean, I think it's nice to say hello to people as you walk by, but do they want you to greet every person you they encounter? They did. In fact, it said, greet faculty members, fellow students, and members of the college staff whenever you meet them. And don't be surprised if you find yourself with a whole raft of new friends. Oh, that's really cute. Don't try that now. That's hilarious. Don't, don't hassle me when I'm walking across campus. <laughs> Cuss him direct. I was watching last night, I found on Facebook, and um, this may or may not be relevant, but I found... A video from 1954 on how to use a dial telephone put out by Bell. Wow. It was fascinating. It was 10 minutes long. <laughs> it had a lovely woman. So I imagine like even the greeting of hello was probably a little. It was probably more, more a into different, it. Yeah. A little less we just pervasive. Say, we just say sup. Sup. Also, the, the paper included the, the information, which I did not know this, is that uh, the kind of the center of campus was the was Beach Hall. Okay. Um, Beach Hall was described as the social, educational, administrative, and geographical center of the campus. Really? It included uh, both the post office and the bookstore. Huh. Um, And uh, it said, for the whole year, you will find the bookstore a haven from the cares of the day. There you can buy anything from a Coke to a gym suit, which I think is still true. If you go to the bookstore, you can... Absolutely. Whatever gym suit, I think you can probably buy it there. A gym suit, like workout clothes? Yeah, that, that would be my guess. Like yeah. shorts and a t-shirt? There yeah. you go. There you go. There I, you go. I'm sure it was much more uniform back then. So that's kind of fun and cutesy. But, oh, um, no. You're going to get dark on us, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> a little bit. So, uh, well, one thing that's interesting is that, you know, our, our incoming class this year is about 5,500. In 1945, it was 485. Wow. Uh, and there's a lot of information about, for example, um, bond sales, because war bond sales were a big deal during the war. And um, they announced the result of the most recent bond sale, in which they raised... $54,957 towards the purchase of a Hellcat fighter plane. 
The uh, university or the students for the military? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, however, since a fighter plane will no longer be needed, the money will be put towards something to help with the reconversion, which is what they talk reconstruction effort in Europe. Uh, the other thing, though, that this is the kind of the grim part. Is they had a regular column called Service Stars, which was they noted what UConn students who were in the military were doing. And since this was the first issue of the paper um, since May, uh, the battles of Iwo Jima and Okinawa happened. Oh, wow. In between, so there there are a lot of uh, Yukon students who were killed mm. in action. Did a lot of the uh, men who served that came back come back that first year, or a lot of them did? Yeah, uh, a lot of them did, according to the paper. Thank you for asking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so many of them came back that they had to move women out of the women's dorms and make oh, them wow. veteran-only dorms. Okay, and uh, a lot of women had to move into Wood Hall, uh, and apparently we're staying in the lounge in Wood Hall, hmm. which we wouldn't do now. I once interviewed some. Some men who had done that left and came back, and they lived in the old frats on that we've torn down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there were a lot of people coming home. Uh, there was a lot of excitement in the society page, which is something that... I love society pages. <laughs> newspapers don't have anymore. Facebook from 1945. Pretty much. There were a lot of uh, wedding and engagement announcements, and all the men have, like, military ranks. Like, this was... I mean, it's not that it's a surprise that a lot no, of people in the military during World War II, but it's interesting to go back and see um, how much uh, things have changed. And uh, in fact, the uh, the newspaper in their editorial about all the changes on campus said, many changes have occurred during the years you've been gone addressed to the veterans who are returning. Women have taken over jobs traditionally held by men. How dare they? How dare they? Over 800 soldiers have invaded our campus and left. We were without a football team for the season of 1943-1944. Our debating society has dwindled to non-existence. <laughs> Co-eds have filled the cheerleaders' ranks. Huh. The cheerleaders were all men before the war. What? Yep. They even took that from us? Come on. Yeah. And then, in fact, uh, in the sports pages, uh, this first issue, they talked about how finally we can, basically they said, you know, we can get back to normal and men can be the cheerleaders again. Can you imagine the guy who was like, wait a minute, maybe the women should be the cheerleaders. <laughs> and then everyone was like, Yes. <laughs> But the biggest difference, and the one that I miss, we've talked about this, is the Pied Piper Parade. Oh. It was the highlight of freshman week. And this was on the front page of the paper. Pied Piper to lead freshman on Friday for evening of fun. Andy Love, class of 47, was the Pied Piper that year. Uh, Andy Love, 47, visits the campus tonight to call out all freshmen for an evening's frolic at the 14th annual Pied Piper. The Piper will start at 6.45 p.m. on his way from dorm to dorm, collecting all the freshmen who will remain at their dorms until he calls them. All will be dressed as children. The girl <laughs> what does that even mean? The, the girls in short dresses and big hair ribbons and the men in pajamas. Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> there will be a band to provide music as the parade winds its way around the campus of the armory where all will enjoy an evening they jump of in entertainment the lake. given by the students under the direction of Mr. France. I don't know who Mr. France was. I like to think it's like a folklore figure, you know, like, I don't know, like Mr. Punch or something. <laughs> uh, next on the program will be a snake dance and rally around a bonfire in the gravel pit. Don't know where the gravel pit What's was. What's a snake Or dance? what a snake dance is. <laughs> Okay, so we got snake dance, gravel pit, bonfire, short dresses and pajamas. Yep. Yeah, we got a lot to look at. But this piper. was the one that used to end by throwing someone in the lake, wasn't it? Not until after this. So before <gasps> oh. this, that never ended. And my guess is, and I haven't been able to verify this, my guess is the veterans started doing that. Yeah, that makes sense. That they the veterans started throwing that. They were a little rowdy. Pent up, yeah. They needed veterans to were a little get some energy out. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. It was a different time uh, on campus, obviously, but some interesting things. And, you know, all the excitement of new campus was still there. But I want to I leave us with the words of uh, President Jorgensen 
Um, he spoke at convocation, which was held at the armory in those days because the class was small enough to do that. It was a long speech, so I won't quote the whole thing, but he did talk a lot about the war and what the purpose of a college should be, a university should be in the, in the world after the war. And he said, if the net result of education and scientific research is to be atomic bombs and rocket bombs and newer and deadlier methods of killing each other off, it would be better for this thing that we call civilization if this university and every other university in the world should suddenly be obliterated. Such a perversion of education and science is possible only when each individual thinks of education in terms of what it can do for him and with no consideration for his fellow man. I like that. Yeah. Cool. So that's it. That's our visit to the past. I enjoyed that. Thanks, Tom. Um, if you like what you hear, you should subscribe. And, and some of you are not, like half of you are not subscribing. It drives <laughs> What's me, going on? It drives God. me up a wall, folks. Subscribe and rate and, you know, give an honest rating. By honest, I mean five stars. <laughs> because how could you rate this anything other than five stars? Uh, if you like us, you can follow us on Twitter at Yukon Podcast. Um, individually, Julie, where can people find you and what do you want them to know about you? <laughs> <laughs> not much. It came out weird. Um, <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Julie Bartuka. And I. this has nothing to do with me. I have no personal involvement. <laughs> You'll see what I did in a minute. But the involvement fair is ah. today when this episode drops, um, September 5th, from 2 to 7 p.m. on Fairfield Way. So if you are a student, especially a new student here at UConn, I highly recommend. I am an alum. I'm someone who talks to students all the time, as I did in the beginning of this episode. Getting involved is pretty much the best way to make the most of your time here. So go see what's out there and find your passion. Excellent. Ken? We literally have hundreds of student organizations. 600 plus. Wow. I said hundreds. 600 plus is hundreds. I'm just being more specific. Okay. You're, you're, you're more accurate than I am. <laughs> you can find me at UConn today where my latest <laughs> story will be written someplace. I don't know what it's going to be today, but you'll find it. He's always there. As for me, you can find me at TJ Breen on Twitter. And uh, once again, everyone, thank you for listening and join us in a fortnight. Bye.